to our groundbreaking short stories, the maternity and paternity stories of fintech. We aim to tell the real journeys the men and women of fintech have embarked on when starting or further growing their families. Today in the world of fintech, more and more companies are realizing how important a people-first attitude is. And this is a previously unexplored avenue of that. We are here to learn how we can better support our people and share some great ideas. So welcome Christian Zyla Muniz, the general manager of the US for Luno. Now Luno is the global leading platform helping people by providing safe and easy access to the world of cryptocurrencies. Their vision is to put the power of crypto into everyone's hands. And Christian is here today to share his career and of course his paternity journey. Christian, great to have you. Thanks for having me. Hi, Nadia. Hi. So tell us about your role and what it actually means day to day. My role is called General Manager for the US, which sounds very broad. I recently relocated from London to the US to launch and scale our US business there. So this means I'm responsible for the entire launch to our completely new market, the US, hiring the team there, defining the strategy setting up the operations on the ground. And it's a quite wild mix from, from very strategic work with the parent company to a week or two ago, like having someone to pick out some plants for, for a new office space. And it really feels like building a company from scratch again within that company that we're already in. And I find it usually exciting and rewarding. And in the last couple of months, we hired our first 20 people now. So we just now 20 on Monday and we've launched an app already. So there's a lot of still work ahead of us. The last thing I would add is like, in addition to just building the business there, I get a lot of joy also out of building the, the culture itself. So I always say I spend about 30% of my time or so thinking about, and I put this sometimes in interviews also, but in a cheesy way, thinking about how we can create a place where people still come to work when they don't need the money anymore. Because I'm fundamentally convinced that most people will go to the beach for, for a year or two and then they, they want to do uh, cool things with cool people again. So that's my role at the moment. Wow, that really says a lot about you and what Luna is all about and, and what your mission is, you know, the mission and the purpose of what you're trying to achieve, that people, even if they didn't need the money, they'd still want to do this. And I think that's really powerful. So that kind of takes me to my next question to tell us a bit more about Luna and, and the plan for the States, because, you know, you've just got there, you've already hired 20 people. This is really exciting times. Yeah, thanks. As a company, we believe fundamentally, we live in that crypto bubble a little bit, right? So we fundamentally believe that the innovation that is blockchain and crypto will have a huge impact on how we think about money, about value, and how we transfer it among, among each other. But the reality is, we also, I'd say, we try to be a company for the crypto cautious people out there, not the, the people that are just like are all over it and, and want to be in it all the time, want to talk about it all the time. Because the reality is a lot of those benefits that we believe to be there in, in the future, they're still probably years out a lot of it, right? So in most countries, crypto is, is, is just becoming an asset class or something where people put their money in because they believe essentially that in the future it, it has, has used huge potential. So it's a bit like sometimes I feel like investing into, if you could buy shares in the internet in the 80s or 90s, like you're buying like internet shares because you kind of think it's interesting but i don't really know how this will impact things but it's, if you look into it it's fairly obvious that it probably becomes something big and that's how people how people see it today they're just investing in this and and our role is really to broaden the access to that that really people can get in people can be part of this 
a wealth creation now, if there is one, but then also longer term that they have a possibility to take advantage of that completely new way of, of dealing with, with money and, and value. And so that's why, as you mentioned in the, in the intro, our mission is to put the power of crypto into everyone's hands, right? With great power comes great responsibility, right? So we, we try to, to really help people understand how to interact with this in a, in a responsible, meaningful way. We would try to be very much anti-hype. So in the US in particular, our role is very different because in, in comparison to our other markets, it's off the other markets, just a bit of back, background and context. We were the first ones in there. So in some of our African markets, there wasn't the possibility for you to use your your local currency, your your Nigerian Naira, your your South African Rand, and say, I want this to be Bitcoin, that there wasn't a way to do that. And so we we built that for, for people there and gained our first couple of million customers. And in the US, it's very different. We enter a market where there are a million ways already how you can theoretically get into that world, get access there. But I do think there's still a lot of work to be done to make it more accessible for the mass market. So we have seen a lot of the early adopters that are interested in technology start interacting with it, people that are interested in finance, but it's still a very small group of people that, that can relate to it. But also there's a lot of like the, the early adopters, some of them have very off-putting personalities, there's a lot of weird heights, a lot of scams in there. So it's, it's basically still very scary and very, very weird. Like, so for, for a lot of like, like quote unquote normal people and my friends and family, it just still feels like something hard to, to wrap their head around and, and also to even relate to. And like, these people don't seem like my people. And so we really tried to create that bridge to, to basically say, look, yes, this all is the case and not everything is great. And we, we don't believe in everything there, but we do believe that it is interesting enough for you to, to engage with it and to look into it, to learn about it. And we also would never tell someone, you have to buy Bitcoin, right? We would always say, look, like we think it's interesting. We tell you how to do it. We try to educate for you to get to a point where you can make an informed decision. So it's a lot about education. It's a lot about also just creating narratives for people that they can understand and, and really trying to be super empathetic and coming from from their their world rather than like imposing our world on them it's like where where are you at and, and what is interesting to you and and how can we make this relatable to you and, and there's a lot of work to be done still in the u.s and so i believe that a lot of what is needed for for the next let's say 100 million people in the u.s to join in and, and become part of that crypto evolution or revolution whatever it will be is really to help them more from a from a narrative perspective, from a communication perspective. So our product is super, super simple. We invest a lot of time on customer support because we also understand that customer support is almost part of the product for something like this. Like if you come in, you're worried, you need someone that immediately is there. Uh, within a couple of seconds, you have someone to chat to. So I'm super excited about this. And I, I also believe there's, there's something very motivating for me that, again, if I think about more short-term, that wealth creation element, if we are able to expand that to a much broader group than the people that traditionally had a lot of the wealth in, in the world. If you're fast enough to educate a lot of people and say, look, this is happening now, you can get in early and you can be part of this. I think that's hugely motivating to me. Mm, it's super exciting, isn't it? Like the potential that, that this has, but also that it seems really realistic to me as well, because there are so many businesses that are trying to hype, you know, go with the hype of what crypto is and that we can't, we can't deny the stories that come out in the news, what's been happening recently about the you know, up and down. But it's mm. great to hear you talk about just giving people knowledge for them to be able to make their own decisions. I think that's super powerful. And I love what you said about the empathy piece, because I think that kind of resonates with how Luno looks after their people as well. And so you know, I wanted you to therefore share 
your paternity story with us and how it worked for you being part of Bloom. Yeah, yeah, sure. So the background was like my wife and I had our first and so far still only baby in October 2020, so mid-pandemic. We lived in London, in London still at the time. And so at Luno, as you said, I think we, we try very hard to support our people at work, but also everything around work uh, with the challenges that they have. And in the UK, we have various uh, parental leave benefits uh, to support our, our people that we also call our Luno. And for myself, I was able to take one month off, a paid month of paternity leave, and then afterwards another four months of shared parental leave. So I guess like most of your listeners probably are familiar with that concept in the UK where the, the person that is giving birth can essentially share some of the leave with the other person that they are they're partnering with to, to raise the children. And in my case, we enable people to do that. But then if, the, if they want to do four months or more, uh, the first four months are all paid. And then after it's uh, on them, basically, it's unpaid leave. But they can take the time off and we hold their job, we support them to come back and try to make it work. And so for me, the first one was interesting, but for the, for the second part, when I was four months off, I became the primary caretaker in that time. And, and just that experience was probably one of the most formative and enriching experiences in my life. Uh, I learned so much about parenting, about babies, about myself again. But I think in, in the context of work, I think I would also call out that a lot of the learning actually happened, like stuff that very surprising learning happened even before I went to leave. So before I even started that. And the, the one thing, and we, we talked about this uh, another occasion already, what was really surprising to me was the level of guilt I felt. <laughs> because initially I was like, oh, of course, like that makes so much sense, I'll do it. And then the time came around, I was like, okay, how am I going to do this leave? And I was at the time responsible for our European business. And it's a role where there wasn't a peer that could take over. My manager couldn't take over from what I was doing. And there wasn't anybody in my team who could fully take over everything I was doing. So it just meant like, if I go away for four months, the business basically in that area slows down or, or comes to stop a little bit. And we as a business have to be fine with that. And I then realized that a lot of guilt because Luna to me, I feel a lot of like sense of ownership. So it feels like a little bit of, a, of my baby as well. Uh, so like, can I do this? Like I, I, I leave people hanging. I leave the company hanging. And I really struggled for a little bit in my head. It's like, this is so weird that I feel like this. And, and then I realized, wait, well, that, that, that's what every, every woman feels that gives birth. Like everyone feels like this. And I'm just being ridiculous because I have the luxury of having a choice. Like I can choose not to do it. Whereas if I'm the person giving birth, I, I'm just out, out of it at least for like two months, maybe three, four months where I actually don't have the choice. So once I had that realization, so like no matter how that feels for the business or how I feel about it, I really have to do this. Because if I don't do it, I'm A, I'm setting a bad example and we're completely defeating the purpose of what we're trying to do, right? We try to do this in order for A, parents to be able to do that. So as, as, the, as the father in my case, be able to have that time, but also I think in the bigger picture, it's really important to break the bias, right? I think like even the, the most well-intentioned companies and managers, like they will always have a, a bias, right? They will always have a bias when they're between hiring a woman that is around that age where she can, I might have a baby or she's already pregnant versus a man who doesn't have that problem or, or someone who just says like, I, I never want to have children. And so I think there's a huge part of that that I had to realize. Like I, it's almost embarrassing to say because it's so obvious, but then it definitely was a big realization that a lot of people would actually feel that level of guilt and would never even take off that time. And so I think for me, it was really important from the experience was that I then decided to take all that time off. But it also meant for me that it's not going to be enough for us to just communicate that policy, but we really have to actively encourage people to say, look, it's fine and, and you can do it. And there's other people that have done it before you. 
So I think that was a really, really interesting one for me. It's so, so fascinating to hear you talk through this. And, you know, when you were talking about the guilt, like as, as a mother, how many times have I been sort of encouraged to coin the phrase mother's guilt, you know, but it's mm. just father's guilt too, you know, it's you, you feel guilty on your job, you feel guilty on your kids. You just, you know, because you are now factoring in so much more than you have before. But I, what I thought was really fascinating about what you said is around that, you know, that bias piece. And of course, we've got mm. to break that bias. So what, what are your thoughts on what we need to do to break that bias? I think it's a very good question. I, I fundamentally believe that, especially at Luna, I think I, I believe a lot in, in all of the people that we have on board and, and we trust them to do the right thing. And we think they're smart and talented. So I think a lot of it is just starting with bias awareness, right? Really doing the work to actively identify it because it's so hard sometimes to see it and once we identify it like helping others to see it as well and then once i think people see it people know it people do come up with solutions where people do find ways it's like oh if this is happening how do we actually solve for that for that particular issue there's like so many small bits and pieces where it happens and so i think again like i think for 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 gender equality i mean just figuring out how to go about parental leave is such such a big topic right like if you don't figure that out like you always you always stuck but then again i think in through my experience i think it showed that it's not just that they're part of like creating a policy and now men can take the same time off. So it should level the playing field because and I did see that actually. I did, I did have like a, a colleague who had a baby at a similar time who then decided not to take a lot of time off. Like, why, why would you not do that? And he was like before me, so I wasn't even aware of that at the time. And I heard like he only took a month off. It's like, why did you do that? I was like, oh yeah, but I didn't need that time or I didn't know or like, like a very weird combination of, of, of answers. But I do suspect that, that he went through the same thought process that I went. It's like, oh, I can't possibly leave. Like, it's my team and like all the people have to take care of and my job is important and so on and so on. So I think if we really want to break the bias there in, in, that, in that scenario, it means like we have to really think through the whole thing, but we, we don't see the kind of pieces. And so I think that that's a big piece. I think I recently had like also now hiring a lot of people in the US, I think also on the hiring side, right? That's, that's the other very clear one that I know is also very, very dear to your heart. And uh, the idea that like, there's like, it, it already starts there, right? Like, how do we bring the right people in? And we had to hire a lot of, we still have to hire a lot of people at very different levels. And some of the roles are super competitive. The, the US market at the moment is, is absolutely crazy in terms of supply versus demand on the job market. And yeah, we had a couple of situations where I was presented with like a bunch of candidates. And there's like, oh, wait, there's like, you just like, you just showed me 18 candidates for this high profile role. There was a single woman in there. How can we ever further down in the funnel? I get it right. to like pick, pick a talented woman in this case, if we don't have one to start with. And then people go like, oh yeah, you're right. And then like, I didn't even think about that. And it's like, it's just like, I was like, so busy trying to find a candidate. I know it's a really high priority role. So just starting to source and find these profiles. Or I just looked at people that came in and they were all men. And then, but then once it's like, well, we should do something afterwards. Like it's, it becomes obvious to people like, yes, like why didn't I think about this in the first place? Of course, like that's what we want to do. And of course, so we always have that top of mind, but it just sometimes gets lost so easily if you don't actively remind yourself, remind others that you have to be very proactive about those things. Otherwise you're just, yeah, not doing it. Yeah, totally. And I think you've given some really good advice there, you know, about constantly reminding yourself and putting parameters in place to ensure that that playing field is leveled. Is there anything else that you would want to add to that around what companies can do to level that playing field? Building awareness is really the, the key, right? Building awareness. And then I think really when, when it comes to solutions, it's really kind of the execution part of it. With the example I gave with the parental leave, like once you have the awareness, okay, it's very clear that 
for, for gender bias in, in promotions, in hiring, apparently if it's youth. If we solve this one thing, it's, it's already like so much of a solution, I feel. But then to actually solve it, there's like so many things in the details that if you don't also do them right, you defeat the whole purpose. It doesn't work. So um, it means that you have to, on the execution side, do it right, which also then comes with like, how do you monitor it? How do you, how do you track it? How do you see it actually successful? So a lot of the work happens not just with that first awareness and decision, but also with everything that comes afterwards, the implementation, the, the data afterwards. Like, do we see that um, this is happening now? In this case, obviously, the end result is do we see that we have uh, an impact on, on the hiring side of things or on promotion side of things and how our workforce changes? And I think it's also, I mean, just maybe applying it very quickly back to, to our business, I also fundamentally believe with what we said before that leveling the playing field, uh, not just on the gender level, but also just in diversity of thought, the diversity of experience is so, so critical for us because if we want to create something that is really for everyone out there, we have to mirror that internally, right? Like we have to be everyone. And if, if we're not internally, then we, we, we will never be able to, to speak to people out there. And that's why it's so important that we, that we can support mothers in, in our company so we can actually speak to mothers out, out there as well, right? Mm, absolutely and I couldn't I couldn't support those sentiments more I, I think you're absolutely spot on so a lot of people that listen to this pod they, they may not be able to change company policies and or level the playing field that way so I always like mm. to ask the question what can everybody do to support each other better and their co-workers better I think well, there are things in place I, I'll just stick with that example I gave with that with that policy I think uh, the role modeling part is definitely really important, right? Like, what can you do? Where can you role model things? And then also talk about it. And so role modeling, I think one thing I've seen sometimes in, in companies is role modeling on the higher levels is, some, is really important, and the signaling of it. And I, in my previous job, I was like in an in innovation area. And so I talked a lot about how people have to create a culture of failure. And what we saw a lot of times is like a lot of the senior leadership will talk about failure. It's totally okay. Everyone mis- can make mistakes but they always exclude themselves. So everyone can make mistakes, but I, I never make mistakes, right? And in the same way, I think like with something like a, a leave policy that I mentioned, like if senior leadership goes like, this is amazing, everybody can do that, uh, no problem at all, but then they have a baby and they come back after two weeks, so that just already sets the wrong signal, right? So I think a lot of that is really important, signaling, people role modeling, and then also talking about it. I think coming to that, like as a manager, I think there's a responsibility also making it very explicit what people are allowed to do and how they should act. So I think a lot of times, again, these, these policies are very hard to read or to interpret. And people are social animals, so they, they're always cautious. How can I behave? What can I do? So I think there's a lot of value in, in kind of a long list of it's okay to, like as a manager, like it's okay to do X, Y, Z. It's okay to do this. I think that's actually on the manager level. And then I think on an employee level, I think there's a lot of value in I think what everybody can do, I believe, is, is just creating safe spaces for, for discussion. So how, how can you help to create safe spaces and how can you avoid making a space unsafe or like reacting in a way that might be off-putting to someone and kill a discussion in the first place? So creating that psychological safety is, I think, something where everybody can contribute to creating that environment where people feel more comfortable bringing things up that they have experienced that either worked very well for them or didn't work for them that inform then like management and, and the company to, to improve. 
you've spoken to everybody in an organization and and a lot of people in society as well you know you've really touched upon all these different angles about how everyone can get involved in in driving this change for equality for everyone's benefit and you've given us a really great insight into what's happening with luno your growth plans for the us so thank you for joining us today on the maternity and paternity stories of fintech no, thank you for providing that platform. And I, yeah, I'm so excited about the work that, that you're doing. I think it's so, so important and really love to see what, what, uh, what you're doing and the change you're creating. So thanks a lot for having me.